event one can want to cover in golf and was uh, for 10 years the copywriter for the Augusta National Golf Club uh, Masters Annual, which is the beautiful coffee table book. So it's always nice to get in touch with Dick. Thanks, Dick, for joining me today. You're more than welcome. So, Dick, I know that uh, David Graham is a very dear friend of yours, and I've been spending more time you know, paying attention to David Graham. He's going to be an inductee into the World Golf Hall of Fame this summer, and and um, I just learned this morning that he has been on the Cup and Tee Marker Committee at Augusta National for 23 years. And just about every press conference that I've watched over the last two days, that's what the guys talk about, all position and where they're going to be teeing from. And uh, so he's had a tremendous influence at, at the Masters as well. But you don't hear much about David Graham. Always been kind of uh, didn't maybe get the accolades he should. So how how wonderful is this that he's – going to be in the Hall of Fame, and it must be particularly special for him this year being at the Masters with that coming up. It is. You know, uh, he had hoped to get into the Hall of Fame, uh, but he never was voted in by the uh, under the previous system of the golf writers' ballots, and when they went to this special 12- or 13-man committee, uh, they voted him in this year with a lot of help from Gary Player and Arnold Palmer who are on that committee as well. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because uh, the selection committee, you know, it's been different in past years, and he said himself that, uh, you know, he always felt deep in his heart that for years his, his record of, of major championships, he, maybe he should have been in the Hall of Fame, and uh, just wonderful to see that, that the people that have, were on the committee, let's talk about how people are selected because there were what, like 15 candidates, and yeah, they were be- chosen. They were chosen by the Golf Hall of Fame uh, in St. Augustine, Florida, and because of their merit as former players and former great players, or uh, members of the United States Golf Association, the PGA of America, the PGA Tour commissioners on it. And uh, somebody from the, uh, I think Peter Dawson from the Royal and Ancient Golf Club in St. Andrews is on it as well. But there are players like uh, Nancy Lopez, Annika Sorenstam, Player Palmer. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's got a wide range of players on it that have played with and against David, by and large, on that number of 15 players, 15 committee members. I was just counting, and they had 16 candidates, and uh, I think, what, three are going into the Hall of Fame this year, or uh, four? Yeah, four. Laura Davies, Marco Mira, architect uh, A.J., uh, Tilling Hash, and then uh, David Graham. That's correct. That's correct. And that's an unusual number to come out of a uh, Hall of Fame induction class uh, in recent years anyway, because the previous uh, criteria meant you had to have at least 50% of the votes to get in. And some of that uh, brought a lot of criticism because unlike the baseball writers or the hockey writers where you have to have 75% or more, uh, the tour had lowered that against the will of the golf writers to 50% and it allowed certain people in that many Hall of Famers didn't feel uh, were warranted at this time. 
Well, you know, David Graham, I, I, when I'm reading about it, I realized, gosh, I think I did watch him win the PGA Championship uh, in a playoff with Ben Crenshaw at Oakland Hills in Detroit. That's area, right. And for, for, kind of forgotten, and yet at the same time, that is just kind of what happened to him, isn't it, in the shadow of people. He said that he was never much of a showman. He was always so scared. I thought that was a great line because we've all been in those situations, you know. Well, he's, and, you know, he's, he's generally a very quiet person. He's opinionated. If you ask him a certain question, he will answer it the way he feels, what he feels about it. And sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. David could be prickly at times during his prime. Uh, but it was typical of a lot of Australians that came to the U.S. to play golf, whether it was Norman, Greg Norman, or Bruce Devlin, or any of the Austra- uh Jason Day, today's from today's Australians, Adam Scott. Uh, they are, they're pretty open and honest people and uh, as, a, as a whole. So that didn't sit well with the politically correct people in, in the United States sometimes. And a very interesting career since since I know that you're such a close friend of his and and, uh, you took a visit to the Hall of Fame with him when he was announced as an inductee, which we'll talk about. But uh, reading about him as an Australian at the age of 14, he dropped out of high school and pursued this career much to the dismay of his parents. And Mm -hmm. talk about his background and and, uh, the the road that he traveled back in those days. It's been, it was an interesting road. Uh, he did leave school at 14 against the wishes of his father, uh, went as an assistant into a club there in uh, in Australia, was actually a left-handed golfer to start with, and the uh, head pro of the club that he was uh, working at as an apprentice, Riversdale Golf Club, saw him hitting balls one day and suggested he turn around and play right-handed. He did that, and uh, he went from there through hard work, largely self-taught, uh, and you know, and, and basically went on to have a good career uh, in America. So he joined the PGA Tour in 1969, and I, you know, as I read that, I, so at that time I was really watching the PGA Tour. You know, I was in, uh, and he was not somebody that I paid attention to, but I remember him, you know, quite well, but not in terms of what he accomplished. And that that's uh, you know that can sometimes uh, give somebody not give them the the rating or the respect that they deserve. Well, and, you know, at that at that time, Emily, too, there was a uh, unwritten uh, feeling among American tour professionals, American-born tour professionals, a lot of foreign-born players or international players, as I like to call them, were coming to this country and taking money out of the the food out of the mouths of American players, and there was there were a lot of hard feelings that uh, that grew among foreign players that were here at that time during the 70s and 80s, and even some of it surfaced on the Champions Tour when David was playing there and other foreign players were playing there. So it was that was a reason, a lot of the reason why the international players didn't get maybe the recognition they did they deserved at that time. And also the the world tour was not the world tour of today. There weren't golf tournaments all over the world. There wasn't a lot of money. And a lot of these guys used to play in basically anonymity in Asia or in South Africa or in South America or in England even at that time. Uh, The European tour never really blew up until Seve Barristeros and Faldo and Langer and, and all those guys came along to uh, push purses up, and therefore push visibility up. 
Well, it's interesting because as we watch the Champions Tour, of course, the Mitsubishi Electric Championship at Huala, I'd see these players that come uh, from European tours and, and from across the ocean and start paying attention to the careers they had in those days. It's pretty remarkable. And what's what's testimonial to the global sport that golf is now is that there's more international players at the Masters than Americans. Yeah, and you know, that's the way of the world now. Uh, there are big tours, big tournaments, big money to be made all over the world. Uh, although this is, the U.S. tour is definitely the most competitive tour. A lot of guys will follow the sun and, and go where the money is, not necessarily playing against the best players, but going to Asia or going to parts of Europe, parts of events in Europe to uh, to make a good living but not necessarily know how good they are or how good they want to be like Roy McIlroy or Darren Clark or or Lee Westwood or any of those guys that came to the U.S. on a full-time basis now. Well, of course, the amount of media, social media, the broadcasting all, all over the world and everything, it's a different day and age. So we remember the early careers of the, the younger people. So let's talk about, as they say, uh, David Graham's uh, forgotten how did I see it written? The forgotten story of David Graham. Let's go back a bit. When did you meet David? I'm sure you covered him, you know, for a long time. But I know you're very close friends. Talk a little bit about his career and, and your relationship with him. How it's grown. I really didn't meet him, or know him very well until uh, the first President's Cup was held in Manassas, Virginia, and that's 20 or 30 years ago now. And he was uh, the captain of the international team, uh, opposite Hale Irwin, who was the American captain at that event. Uh, the Americans won the event, but you got to see a little bit of David uh, then. And through the years, you'd see him off and on. The more he got on the senior tour, the more time I spent with he and Maureen, and therefore Bruce Devlin, who's, a, who's one of his closest friends, if not his closest friend. So it was we would spend uh, dinners together on the Champions Tour when I was out there. And uh, I would spend a lot of time watching him hit balls or talking about things other than golf. And uh, it, it became a very close friendship. And what is really quite special about it is when he was inducted, in, and not inducted, but he announced that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame uh, just what last February. You took the uh, walk with him through the Hall of Fame. You've been doing some very nice writing on his blog, uh, davidgrahamboffer.com, sharing that experience and reading it. I know it sounds like it's David, but it's both of you and what you were feeling. And and talk about that. Well, he's, uh, you know, when I went up there, I, I told him that I wanted to come up and see how he would react and be in the Hall of Fame when he actually set foot in it. All the years he'd played up at uh, the, the TPC, the Slammer and the Squire golf courses, and the, the Bear and the uh, and the King golf courses up there for Legends events, he'd never gone in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you can hit a you can hit a decent five iron to the first tee from the first tee to the Hall of Fame, and he never went in. Other guys would go in from the Champions Tour, but he wouldn't. He never wanted to go in there until he was actually inducted and uh, for a long while it looked like that would never happen uh, but when he did go to visit with Marco Mira that particular day that particular Monday I was up there I drove up from from Tampa to St. Augustine and was interested to see how his reaction would be 
And uh, it was interesting to watch he and O'Meara go through the hall with Tony Parker, who's the newly hired historian there, and discuss things that they had gone through in their careers, whether it was playing old clubs of certain types, balls of certain types, pieces of history that the tour has set up in that museum, which is it's a wonderful museum to see. Uh, and, you know, he was fine. He was very uh, open and candid and questioning, uh, same way Mark was uh, throughout the whole tour, and they knew a lot more historical information than I had first envisioned. It was interesting to see him walk along and see parts of his career sitting there in uh, in the hall itself now, whether it was U.S. Open or the, the PGA Championship that he won, uh, as small parts of the of the hall at this point, uh, he was fine. He was he handled it pretty well, and I know he can be very emotional at times. Uh, he's much more a, a soft-hearted person than people were led to believe, uh, but he did handle it very well. Except uh, you know at the end when uh, he was asked about the whole process of finally getting in the hall, and, and then it finally hit him. But uh, he's always been very good, very classy very good with people, uh, and now all he's got to do is worry about uh, his speech for the Hall of Fame induction in July at uh, St. Andrews University in St. Andrews, Scotland. Uh, the week of the Open. The week of so the Open, the Monday yeah. of the Open Championship. It's the Emily T. Gale Show, ESDNHawaii.com, talking with my longtime friend Dick Mudry. I met about 19 years ago at the Mississippi Electric Championship at Hualalai. And what a wonderful friendship and stories I've learned from Dick of his career of 40 years covering PGA Tour, LPGA Champions Tour. And as I said earlier, the, uh, spent 10 years as the copywriter for the Augusta National Masters Annual, the Golf Table that they publish every year and, and really has a history of the Masters. But we're talking about his good friend, David Graham, who will be part of the uh, inductees in the World Golf Hall of Fame, as, as Dick just alluded to this summer. And what I like about what's been going on is even Arnold Palmer, Arnold said at the uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational a couple weeks ago that he was planning on going to the Open and to the Hall of Fame induction. And there's a lot of focus on it right now. Um, even at the Masters with Ben Crenshaw playing his last Masters, and of course he's a World Golf Hall of Fame member. Uh, the interviews that have been going on, it's fun to see them incorporating the World Golf Hall of Fame in, in so many of the interviews. I think what's interesting, too, about it is, you know, it's a hard trip to make. Uh, they're holding a Wednesday afternoon scramble for all the past champions. They have a dinner on Tuesday night for all the past champions, the Open champions, that come back to the site every year they have it. But at St. Andrews, they add a three-hole tournament, so to speak, that, that puts two players, two past Open champions together, and they play a three-hole road at 16, 17, and 18 at St. Andrews, uh, or one, 17, and 18, whatever it's figure they do. And that's kind of neat to go see Arnold play and see Jack play, Trevino if he goes. I think Trevino may well go as well. Gary players always there. You see past Open champions from long before Palmer and Nicholas were were there. So it's it's a neat little addition to the Open Championship, and, it, and it's kind of a strange irony in David's case that it's at St Andrews this year when it's been at St Augustine every other year. His first major championship was at St Andrews in 1970. And now he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame at St. Andrews 
45 years later. Isn't that special? And, That's and you know, you, you talk about uh, his feelings as he went through the, the Hall of Fame, and you were with him back in February, and as he was announced that he was going to be inducted. Talk about your own feelings and, you know, just seeing everything that's in there as opposed to, you know, kind of a deja vu of your own career because you covered so many of the events that are part of the World Golf Hall of Fame. And I, I look forward to getting down there sometime. I just opened a package from you today, and it was a, a cap from the Squires and Slam uh, golf, yep. golf Course. Yep, Slammer and, and Squire, yep. Yeah, so that is part of explain to our listeners about the, the Slammer and the Squire. There are two golf courses that surround the Hall of Fame, as well as a hotel, a Renaissance hotel that's all within walking distance. Uh, they sell a lot of packages for the winter uh, to tourists that come to Florida and come to the North, uh, North Florida, Northeast Florida, actually. Uh, the golf courses are built by Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer, one of them. The other one was built by uh, Sam Snead and Gene Sarazen before they passed. Uh, so they're they're kind of an interesting golf course. It's typical Florida golf courses, a lot of water, a lot of woods. But the showcase of it is the Hall of Fame in the middle of it. And I've been to the Hall three or four times. Before. I guess the last time was when Larry Nelson was finally voted in after 13 years of trying to get voted in himself on the ballot. But uh, it, it's interesting, and it, it's I was there as an observer of David, but in, in ways as I walked through it, I also saw a lot of things at places I had been and things that I had seen in the history of women's golf, in the history of men's golf, in the history of the Ryder Cup, in the history of the President's Cup. And it's kind of neat to sit there without being too vain and saying, hey, I was there. I know exactly what happened when, say, Repock made that putt to win the LPGA Championship and she couldn't even speak English. You know, it, it, it's kind of... It's it's interesting. It gives you a different perspective. If you don't look at it that way when it's going on, but boy, you look at it afterwards and say, "Hey, that was pretty neat things to do." Well, and you have a, a Dick Mudry, longtime golf writer and the, the copywriter for the Masters Annual for ten years. He he did a beautiful job, and every year about Masters time, I would get the Masters Annual and a Masters cap, and I have on my new Squires and and. Uh, my Slammer and Squire golf course hat on that is part of down at St. Augustine where the World Golf Hall of Fame is. But David Graham, your good friend who's going to be inducted, he says, as you alluded to earlier, he says that during my champion tour days, I played competitively uh, four times here at the Slammer and Squire and the King and Bear course. Each day I could stand on the first tee and see the sprawling complex, but I never made the short walk from the hotel to the front door. You told that story earlier, but hearing him say it, you know, he says, maybe deep down I wanted my first visit to be when I was elected into the first World Golf Hall of Fame. I wanted to be in the fraternity of the 146 current members, which come from 16 countries. So even more satisfying for you to know, because you've known how painful it's been for him, or maybe discouraging for him, or the, you know, when he hasn't been announced as an inductee. So how, how... Good did that feel to be so happy for him at the same time? You know, it's interesting. Over the years, we've talked about it a lot, and he's kind of been a, a, a critic of the system before it was changed. He would say to me at certain times, he says, I'd like to get in before I die. You know, and that's that's how much it meant to him. And when you understand where he came from as a kid who left home, basically his father never talked to him after he left home to become an apprentice. His, they, they were a strained relationship, uh, would be kind to say. 
to get to the Hall of Fame, playing the Asian tour at first, coming to America when very few professionals came to America to, to stay in the early 70s, and having the success he had, uh, you know, you got to sit there and wonder how he's going to be that evening when when it really hits him, when it really when he stands up on that stage before the camera at St Andrews University and has to give a speech. He's he's good at speaking, but a speech that's emotional that means something to you is entirely different. Well, uh, from what I understand, I've heard this in the past from people that talk about the World Golf Hall of Fame as the the locker room exhibit. And uh, each inductee has a locker, just like you would in your club. And then in the locker, each player places whatever they want that holds special meaning to them. Uh, everybody had different different things. Bexie King's locker contains one thing and one thing only, a Bible. And he says, I've been wrestling with what to include in my locker, and I discovered after visiting that portion of the hall, the process isn't as complicated as I first thought. I'm still undecided, <laughs> but I've got some time to think about it. So that will be interesting, you know. Maybe you know what he's going to put there, but the locker, no, I, about that locker room exhibit. I wish I did, but I know they, the Hall of Fame people came, the curators came to his house in January and went through all his mementos and storage stuff that was in storage and took a bunch of things. But, uh, you know, they wanted certain things that he's not willing to give up. They wanted the irons that he played in Marion when he shot that final round of 65 and won his open in 79 uh, and other things that have very great sentimental value and intrinsic value to him as well. So I have no idea what he's going to put in there. And that would be a good question for me to ask him next week when, when I talk to him after the Masters. And and uh, Dick Mudry is talking about David Graham going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this summer at uh, St. Andrews. The forgotten story of David Graham is what people used to say. Now, you've been at the Masters when you were writing the copy for the Masters Annual. You've been there, covered it for so many years and been such a close part of it, working with Augusta National. Uh, when you would see David there, 23 years he's been on the uh, Cup and Tee Marker Committee, you know, having a, a lot of uh, input in terms of where the, the tee locations are and the whole locations. What kind of respect and, and, and feeling did you sense from the players then, and will that change now that he's a World Golf Hall of Fame member? It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the younger generation may not understand players of that era and the ones that become golf hall of famers because David's not certainly as recognized as Arnold Jack or Gary or Lee Trevino, but to get into the hall of fame is a grand achievement for any player, whether it's the baseball hall of fame, the hockey hall of fame, uh, you know, the football hall of fame, it, it's a very elite club. And so he's, he's the only professional golfer on that committee. I don't know how much input he has, but I know that they go over the pin placements every day. They get the beginning of the week. They will set pin placements for every hole every day for the four days. And barring weather concerns, they will stick to those pin placements for, for the week. They will sometimes go back 20 or 30 years to look at pin placements to see to see what works and what doesn't work. So. And, and- and in doing that, like, how would he have uh, gotten on that committee? Would that have been somebody went and asked him to be on it, or if he's respected because of his just knowledge of the game? And I think a little bit of, of it. I think it's a little bit of both. He uh, 
he wanted to, in 1971, after he finished uh, his first Open Championship in 1970, he was invited to the Masters because they won, he and Bruce Devlin won the World Cup in Argentina. So he received an invitation to the Masters the next year. And during the course of those years, he developed friendships with certain members. One one gentleman, I don't know his name, he uh, took David kind of under his wing, and they would go and play golf, and all of a sudden David was invited to play, you know, invited to play there with a the member, with his new friend. And one year they asked him to be on the committee, 23 years ago. Great, great. So so that's how it evolved over the years, and that's, you know, you're going back 40 years, 45 years since his first Masters, 44 years. And that would, uh, you know, reason why someone like, correct me if I'm, I'm not correct on this, when Adam Scott uh, won, he is often referred to Greg Norman as having done so much to inspire Australian players. But, correct. you know, he, he doesn't, you know, they often forget about David Graham. and, and Well, they forget about of, Peter Peter Thompson, Norman Van Nuyta. Oh, right, there's, yeah. there's a long list of great players long before Greg Norman. Greg just happened to have the largest profile of those guys that came over. You know, I mean, there were Peter Thompson won six British Opens since six Open Championships. So, and also they grew up watching them, right? Exactly, the Adam Scotts exactly. and the Jason Days. So that's why I wondered if uh, being in the World Golf Hall of Fame will kind of cement more, hey, this is a guy that really accomplished a lot. You know, he just well, wasn't a great know, Australian golfer, a great, great player. It's interesting because David has a good reputation among the uh, manufacturing people in the industry because back in the early 70s, he built Jack's irons and clubs at McGregor, Jack Nicholas's VIP irons, if you can remember those irons that had the bronze insert in the middle of the face he was the one okay. that helped design those with Jack sure. and built Jack's clubs over the years. So he has a he's had a great relationship with Jack ever since then. And the industry people know, even though it's more complicated to build clubs these days because of the use of computers, players can sit and look at clubs and say, this works, this doesn't work, why don't you try this? And David's very, very sensitive to his, his hands. I've seen him hold a golf club, and he could tell you within a tenth of an ounce how much it weighs. That's how good wow. his feel in his hands. And most players have some some of that sense, but he has it to spades. I mean, I've never seen Arnold maybe has the only other one that I know that can do that with golf clubs to that close a sensitivity. So he has always had a good reputation with manufacturers and club designers. So can you imagine just, you know, and I'm sure you'll pick that up when you talk to him at the, at the end of next week after the Masters, that's just what a, what a wonderful feeling it must be for him as he's walking the course and being at the Masters and knowing that his, you know, it's his time right now. Well, Pretty it'll be cool. interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how many people went up to him and congratulated him because nobody has seen him or talked to him since the announcement. So it will be interesting to see with all the golf world there at Augusta whether uh, there's been this outpouring of you know congratulations for him. Well, Dick Mudry, uh, any anything else you'd like to share about uh, David Graham? He's again being inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame at St Andrews uh, this summer at the Open, and uh, it's no longer a forgotten story. I mean, I just see myself how much I've learned about him. Of course, reading your uh, 
blog submissions for him on davidgrahamgolfer.com and just another piece of history that's really fun to, to learn and know about. Any last thoughts? Well, we should all, you know, regardless of who the person is or whether you have a relationship with them, you should, you know, relish their accomplishments over the course of their careers because, let's face it, there are so few people that get in any of those Hall of Fames. You've got to do something pretty special to get in, and I'm glad that I'm glad it's happened to David now when he uh, when he can enjoy it. Well, I think, like he says, you know, the most many of the players get into their state Hall of Fame or different kinds of Hall of Fames, but to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame is like the pinnacle, and uh, such a wonderful compliment to somebody's career. You know, their grandchildren, and it's just he says it's the the big one. He calls it the Hall the big one, and yep. you realize your legacy is there forever. Well, Dick. Magri, always a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate our friendship and the knowledge and stories you've shared with me. And and uh, one more time, you know, I see where you just a, little by little educated me about different players that I wasn't paying attention to that I realized fit into the landscape of golf history in a very vital way, if you love the sport. Well, it's always learning, isn't it? If we can learn yeah. something new, it's it's good for all of us. Okay. Well, thank you, Dick. Thank you, and, Emily. And uh, we'll, we'll have to talk in a week or so after the Masters and uh, get your, you know, take a look back at what what's going on this week. I'll be glad to do that. Okay, take care. Aloha. The Emily Tegel Show, ESTNHawaii.com, and nice to have a conversation with my longtime friend Dick Mudry, longtime golf writer, and about his friend David Graham, who for years should have been inducted in the Hall, World Golf Hall of Fame, and this year it's going to happen. So that's a nice story, and I'm glad to be able to share it with my listeners here on the Emily T. Gale Show.